Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. At the beginning of the year, Kristen and I began to teach several series uh, built around the cross. And uh, we realized that everything in our life should be viewed in light of the work that Christ did on the cross, and everyone said amen. We're called Christians because of what Christ did on the cross, and so everything in our life should uh, be subject to the light of the cross. And so we looked at ourselves in the cross, we looked at technology and the cross, we looked at money in the cross. And for the next three weeks, Kristen and I will be talking about the subject, relationships and the cross, relationships and the cross. We're going to be using a resource called Real Relationships by Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. You might have heard of them, but this comes from a resource that they have. Um, And just if you're a part of uh, Right Now Media, some of you have Right Now Media, Um, You can view some of the small group uh, curriculum that they have related to this book. And if you have not signed up for Right Now Media, you can do that. Send me an email, and we can add you to that Right Now Media. Right Now Media is basically like a Netflix for Christian uh, video, and it's free of charge to you. It doesn't cost you anything, uh, but it has a lot of great videos and resources. And so over the next couple weeks, we will be teaching on the subject relationships and the cross, and we're going to identify some principles that will help you as you navigate relationships, specifically with your family and your friends. Now, this will not be a marriage series, but we do know that some of the the principles of relationships uh, does apply in marriage relationships, but we're specifically talking about how relationships impact our family and our friends. I'm, a little, I'm struggling tonight because I don't have my iPad, so I'm, I'm grabbing paper tonight. I'm going way back, old school. But uh, there was some uh, recent research done that studied the age-old mystery of what makes people happy. What makes people happy? And their answer is not what you might expect. What appears consistently at the top of the charts is not success or wealth or achievement, good looks, or uh, any kind of other uh, asset that you might think of that would make people happy. But the clear winner in the research was that relationships make us happy. And not just any relationship, but close relationships. And so why is this? And I don't know if you're sitting next to somebody you like or not. I, ho- I hope that you, you tolerate the person that you're sitting next to. But for one reason that we understand relationships are important is that it's not only the the context of a connection with others that is our deepest need, but we realize that uh, there there are things about relationships that cause us to uh, desire to be connected. And we're going to try to spell out some of those for you. Nothing reaches us so deeply in our human personality than genuine relationships. It was the philosopher John Doan, and uh, he got it right when he said, and you've probably heard this saying, 
No man is an island. No man is an island. And we need camaraderie. We need affection as a human. We need love. And there are not options in life. These are not options in life. They're not sentimental trimmings. They're a part of the essentials of life. Relationships are essential to life itself. And so you hear us talk a lot about belong, and we need to belong. Relationships matter. And in a culture where we have hundreds of friends through social media, networking, but how often do we not really have face-to-face relationships? And we need face-to-face relationships where not only are we, we interacting with people relationally, but that we're not just walking by people. We go to banks and we walk down sidewalks and we call telephones where we actually talk to no one, but we listen to information. And it's amazing that in all of these possible interactions that we could have in a global culture, it's possible to be alone in a crowd. National surveys, in fact, find that a quarter of all Americans say they've felt lonely in the last month. And if they don't confess to feeling lonely, two-thirds of Americans say that having close relationships with other people is always on their minds. Surprisingly, college students who are typically surrounded by other people looking for relationships are among the most relationally starved members of society. The number one reason college students seek counseling, in fact, is for relationships. Some experts explain that this is because students tend to be overly idealistic, expecting too much from friends. Or others say students might reject possible friends and partners because they're overcome with their own social anxiety and fear of rejection. Still, others believe that online networking has diminished face-to-face time with friends. But whatever the reason, most social professionals agree that no matter what our age is, we all have a deep longing for belonging. We have a deep longing for belonging. We want to be wanted. We want to be accepted. We want to be enjoyed and loved. And psychologists call it our affirmative drive. And we make no mistake, no one is too big, strong, talented, or tough to go without belonging. However, the need to belong is not just about feeling warm and acceptance. It is literally a matter of life and death. During World War II, doctors identified a fatal and mysterious disease they called marasmus. It was discovered in a group of orphan babies who were placed in a care facility with brightly colored toys, furniture, and good food. And in spite of the pleasant accommodations, the health of the children deteriorated. They soon stopped playing with the toys and gradually lost their appetites. Their tiny systems weakened. They became lethargic and they became wore down. Some children died. When word got out about what was happening, United Nations doctors came in and they began to diagnose and treat these children. And after only a short time of investigation, the doctors made a simple prescription, curing the problem within days. 
Their prescription was for 10 minutes each hour, all the children were to be picked up by a nurse, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. And it was this simple prescription that the little ones began to live life more abundantly. And this marasmus was cured. Unfortunately, the incident, this particular incident, was not the first link to the importance of human relationships to our very survival. In the mid-1700s, Frederick II, king of Persia, conducted one of the grisliest experiments ever done. He wanted to prove that newborns, if left unattended, except for the provision of food and water, would begin to speak Latin on their own. All right. So he was trying to prove that that was the dominant language. But needless to say, the experiment didn't work. In fact, it was tragic, and the babies perished. As infants, we do not know or understand the subtle dynamics of relating and loving. We don't get it as infants, but our need to connect is already so strong that its absence impairs natural growth and development, even bringing death. The profound and deep human need for relationship does not change, though, as we grow older, and it doesn't change by a long shot. Adults who isolate themselves from the world, refusing so much as to own a pet, are likelier to die at comparatively young age than those who cultivate companionship. Two independent studies, one done by the University of California at Berkeley and the other at the University up north, sorry, I can't say it, found that adults, that adults who do not cultivate nurturing relationships have premature death rates, twice as high as those who frequent caring contact. James S. House of that university up north said, the data indicates that social isolation is as significant to mortality as smoking, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, obesity, and lack of physical exercise. Relationships are that important. Social scientists call our longing for belonging, they call it assimilation, affiliation, or social webbing. Others call it fellowship, connecting, or relating. Whatever it's called, everyone agrees that we're born with an insatiable inner need for meaningful interaction with others. It's a need that begins on the first day of our lives and continues until we take our last breath. So make no apology about it. Our desire to be in relationships is paramount. And so I think we're called on to not ignore the need by preoccupying ourselves with surface satisfaction. And we talked about some of the surface satisfaction that's found in our social media culture. Everyone wants to be wanted, accepted, enjoyed, and loved. And neglecting your opportunity for relationship can have devastating effects and, dare I say, spiritual effects. See, the Bible supports this idea 
of the importance of relationships. In fact, you could argue that we were actually created for relationships. We're all familiar with Adam and Eve. God said right from the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, 18, it is not good that man should be alone. So he makes a helpmate for him. And then he gives this instruction about family that it wasn't just them too. He says in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply. That we were created for family and we were created for community. And sin caused a lot of chaos in relationships. You understand that the first sin committed against another human was Cain killing Abel. And it spiraled from there. And so God crafted a community, a, a healthy people, to bring about a healthy community. And so in Deuteronomy, we read that, 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 that God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, verse 6, he said, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of of the earth. He was crafting community. He was preserving community and the opportunity for us to be in relationship and ultimately by that relationship, find a relationship with God. And so God then took that spiritual community and he gave them a law to live by so that they could better relate to each other. He starts off with four commandments, four commandments that had to do with people's relationship with God. He said, you shouldn't have any other gods before uh, you. I'm, I'm the God that you need to serve. He said, don't make any graven images. He said, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And he said, remember the Sabbath day. And then he begins then and tells them, here's some laws. And these laws are specific to relationships. He said, honor your father and your mother. He said, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness or lie against your neighbor. These laws were intended to help this new community to have laws that could help them function in relationships. And we're not going to dive into all those laws, but when you begin to look at those laws for your own life, I think that it's important for you to understand that those were the laws that he created for relationships. And then there's this last law, and I find it intriguing. Again, I don't have time in this session to talk about it, but the last law he gives is don't covet. Don't covet. This has more to do with yourself. This is how you view yourself. It's about that you're not looking at other people and coveting after it, but you're comfortable with who you are and what you have. And it has to do with self. Four laws that have to do with God. Five laws that have to do with relationships and one law that has to do with ourselves. Relationships were not only the backbone of the Old Testament, but they were the backbone of the New Testament. Jesus came to propagate the idea that relationships are important. Think about Jesus, some of Jesus' parables, the prodigal son dealing with family issues and how we should treat each other in our family and view our brother. It was the 11th hour workers that he said 
that we need to have an understanding of how we work on the job. And we know all these have spiritual uh, uh, significance, but we realized he used relationships to help us understand spiritual principles. And then the idea of the Good Samaritan, this relationship with a total stranger. And 50%, half of the Great Commission, or the great, greatest commandment, I should say, half of the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is about relationships. Because the first is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you should love your neighbor as yourself. It's about relationships. And it seems that the New Testament writers, those apostles and those writers of the New Testament, were obsessed with relationships. Think about what's in the epistles, how to interact with one another, how to love one another. A whole chapter Paul spends on what love actually is. The fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit intended for? It's not intended for you. It's intended for your relationships, that you would show love, that you would show joy, you would show peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All those things have to do with your relationships. And if you need to belong, it's absolutely vital that we have this understanding of relationships. So if our need to belong and to find intimacy with others is so universal and ever-ordained, then we have to be wondering, why is it so complex? Because relationships can be downright complicated, and somebody said amen. Getting tight in here. Thankfully, Kristen is going to address some of the more complicated parts of relationships. When we were talking about how we were going to teach this, she was frustrated at me because I always give her the, the tough parts of the subject. She just, she's wiser. She's smarter in those areas, so I give her those areas. But relationships are complicated are complicated. For starters, our own family. I heard somebody call it that our family is like relationship university. It's for where we first go to college on how to do relationships. And think about your family. Or not. What kind of degree did you come out of your family university with? A lot of pain associated before you ever embrace your own idea of family. It's complicated. And who hasn't experienced the puzzle of a relationship where flourishing affections faded without warning? Where all of a sudden the infatuation and the affection is gone. It's complicated. The friends we trusted the most sometimes fail us in the worst kind of ways. It's complicated. Not to mention in a married marriage relationship, trying to relate to the opposite sex. I think the title of the book is appropriate. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. It's absolutely shocking how difficult relationships 
can be. You'd think that after all the time that we as humans have had on the earth, that we have made negotiation, negotiating relationships a little better and a little more simple, but in fact, it's not. Divorce rates are as high or higher than they've been because relationships are that complicated because it's tied to our nature. And it's not that we haven't tried, but even our folk wisdom on relationships raises more questions than it has answers. Do, do birds of a feather flock together? Do opposites attract? Does absence make the heart grow fonder? Is out of sight, out of mind? No doubt about it, in spite of all, all of our good intentions and sincere efforts, relationships are rarely simple. A good indication of the complexity of modern relationships is spelled out by Jerry Seinfeld. I tried to find the clip, but I couldn't find it. And he was talking about greeting card companies. And he laments that companies are forced, are now forced to put on greeting cards something that is blank on the inside. And he says, nothing, no message, It's like the card says, we give up. You think of something, it's not worth us getting involved in. So greeting cards just say, hey, you have at it. You try to say something nice. Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend have a book called Boundaries. And maybe some of you have read it. Very powerful book, and I encourage you to read it if you haven't. But in the book, they tell this parable, and I'm going to close with this parable. They say, imagine for a moment that you live on another planet operating under different principles. Suppose your planet has no gravity and no need for a medium of exchange such as money. So you live on this planet, and you're living life. You get your energy and fuel from osmosis instead of eating and drinking. And suddenly, without warning, you find yourself transported to Earth. And when you wake up from your trip, you step out of your hovering spacecraft and fall abruptly to the ground. Ouch, you say, not knowing exactly why you fell. After regaining your composure, you decide to travel around a bit. And you're unable, though, and you decide that you're trying to figure it out. You want to try to fly, but you can't. There's this new phenomenon called gravity, and so you start walking. And after a while, you notice that, strangely, you feel hungry and thirsty. You wonder why. Where you come from, you don't need this type of food. Your galactic systems rejuvenate itself. But luckily, you come across an earthling who diagnoses your problem and tells you that you need food. Better yet, he recommends a place where you can eat called Jack's Diner. And so you follow his instructions and you go into the restaurant and you manage to order some of this earth food that contains all the nutrients you need. You immediately feel better. But when the man who gave you the food wants $7, you're a little stunned. You have no idea what he's talking about. And after a little argument... Some men in uniforms come, 
And they take you away. They put you in a small room with bars. And what in the world is going on? Why are you now in this place? You, you didn't mean any harm, yet you are in jail, whatever that is. You can no longer move about as you want, and you resent it. You only tried to be about your own business, and now you have a sore leg and fatigue from your long walk and a stomach ache from eating too much. Nice place this earth is. Kind of a strange story, a strange parable, but does this sound too far-fetched? People raised in dysfunctional families or families where God's ways of boundaries are not practiced They've experienced this similar to that of an alien. They find themselves transported into an adult life where spiritual principles that have never been explained to them are all of a sudden supposed to govern their relationships and well-being. They are relationally hurt and are emotionally hungry, and they many end up in kind of a jail. But they never knew and they don't know the principles that could have helped them operate in according in accordance with what reality or in accordance with what God wanted and instead reality begins to set in. And so there are prisoners and maybe you've been there being a prisoner of your own ignorance. God's world is set up with laws and principles. Spiritual realities are as real as gravity. And if you do not know them, you will discover their effects. It doesn't matter if you acknowledge them or not, they exist. And just because we have not been taught these principles of life or taught some of these relational ideas, it does not mean that they will not rule or impact our lives. And we need to know these principles that God has woven into our life and operate accordingly. So as I close tonight, I want to give you five of the la- of ten laws that Cloud and Townsend mention that impact our relationships with others. The first is the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And when God tells us that we will reap what we sow, he is not punishing us. He's just telling us how things really are. And this is a very big law in relationships. You will reap what you sow. When it comes to your kids, when it comes to your spouse, when it comes to friends, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to get out of it what you put in it. When your kids grow up, many times it's going to be what you put in it that's going to come out of those relationships. And so the law of sowing and reaping is important for us to understand. The law, the next law is the law of responsibility. We are to love one another, but hear me, we are not to be one another. We're to love one another, but we're not to be one another. And I can't feel your feelings for you. I can't think for you. You can't behave for me. You can't work through the disappointment that I have 
I have to work through my own disappointment. In short, I can't grow for you. Only you can. Likewise, you can't grow for me. The biblical mandate for our own personal growth is this in Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you also have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we realize that we are responsible to people. We are not responsible for people. This is a law that can help us in our relationships. We're responsible to people. We are not responsible for people. And then there's the law of power. The law of power. Sometimes it can seem that as Christians we are powerless. Romans chapter 7, Paul outlines this in several different verses. Verse 15 of Romans chapter 7, he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will will to do, that I do not practice. For what I hate, that I do. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Though you do not have the power in and of yourself to sometimes overcome patterns, you do have the power to do some things that will bring fruits of victory later. You do have power in your life to help you overcome. We know there are addictions. We know there are uh, physiological things that can cause us to struggle. But we are not powerless. You have the power to agree with the truth about your problems. You have the power to confess. You have the power to tell the truth. That's in your power. You have the power to submit your inability to God. You have the power to petition God and ask him for help. That's in your power. You have the power to turn from evil that you find within you. It's called repentance. You have the power to humble yourself to God, as we talked about on Sunday. You have the power to submit yourself to God, to submit yourself to spiritual leadership, and to submit yourself one to another. You have that power. You have the power to practice what the Bible teaches concerning forgiveness. You have the power to ask somebody to forgive you. So you're not powerless You have power. And in a world where sometimes it's easier to just be a victim to the circumstances that surround us, they're very real, but we are not powerless. And God wants to help us. The law of respect. Thank you, Aretha. The law of respect. We sometimes judge others' decisions based on what we know about ourselves or we think we know about ourselves, if I was them, I would have done it this way. Why couldn't they come and help? We all gave up our free time to help. Why can't they lend me the money? I always help them out when they're in need. But we've got to be careful. There's a law of respect that's 
important in relationships. And when we judge others' boundaries, we ourselves are judged. And then there's the law of motivation. The law of motivation. Sometimes we have wrong motives that cause our relationships to sour. We fear abandonment or loss of love, and so we do things to keep a relationship that's unhealthy. We fear someone's anger, or we fear loneliness, or we fear disappointing people. We feel guilty. We want payback, and so we respond. We want approval. And so our motivation, understanding our motivation, when we're honest about it, there's a law that's in motion in all of our relationships, and it has to do with what are our motivations in our relationships. The Bible gives us what the motivation should be, and that's what we're endeavoring to do. It's not easy. It's very complicated and and hard at times. I shouldn't say complicated. It's hard at times. But our motivation should always be love. But love doesn't always say yes. Love doesn't always say yes. Sometimes it says no. Sometimes it makes hard decisions. Because you love somebody so much, you're not going to let them treat you that way or treat your kids that way or your family that way. Love isn't being a pushover. Love is being confident in God. And when you love somebody, I think the the great thing that we have the opportunity to do sometimes, and I don't like it as much as anybody, is sometimes you do have to confront issues. You do have to not just walk away and act like everything's okay or move to another city or move to another church or do... Sometimes you have to have the honest conversation. Why? Because God is about love. And when we confront somebody, see, sometimes you think that you're not respecting them or you're not, you're afraid of their response. But in reality, you're giving them the best chance to respond. They can either respond with forgiveness, they can respond in a way that they can change their behavior. And what happens when we sometimes confront issues, not only are we changing their behavior towards us, hopefully we do it in love, doesn't just change the relationship there, it changes how they might treat other people in the future. So when you act like it doesn't matter, I'm just going to let it go, it's no big deal, Sometimes that's not an act of love. That's an act of being a coward. And you're not helping that person, and you're certainly not helping the other people that they could impact. We see this in a more negative light when in cases of abuse, in cases where, where things have happened or somebody just let somebody say something to them, no big deal. They just brush it off. And, and I'm not, a, I'm not a, a basher of the Me Too movement. I think there's some very positive things that have come out of the Me Too movement. And one of those is you speak up when somebody does something that's wrong to you. You speak up. You don't just act like it's no big deal. Why? Not only are you try- you're confronting them, but you're providing an opportunity for things to be made right so it can't happen over and over and over again. And so love, love is the ultimate motivation. Love is how we should work in our relationships. And I believe that 
that, that God wants us to have dynamic relationships. We know they're complicated. We know they're difficult. But I, I absolutely believe that when the cross is in view, we can have healthy relationships. When the cross is in view, when you realize how much Christ has done for you, when you realize how, cro- how far Christ has come to save your life, how long-suffering Christ has been with you, how merciful he's been with you, how loving and kind he's been with you, when that is your perspective, it's hard to treat other people without mercy, without kindness, without long-suffering. Amen. Relationships matter to God, and they should matter to us. As I close, I want you to stand. I have never been more convinced of the absolute importance and purpose of the, or importance of relationships and the need for us as Christians to belong intentionally. That we need to be intentional about the relationships that we have. Albert Camus said this, human relationships always help us to carry on because they always presuppose a future. Human relationships always help us to carry on because they always presuppose a future. I believe that there are three categories of relationships that all of us as Christians need to have. The first is we need to have relationship with our family. We need to have relationship with our family. And I understand that that might mean different things for different people. But we need to be intentional about trying to have a healthy relationship with our family. Because here's the reality. And I've talked about this before. But, you know, we think we know that parents are the power players in families. They're the ones who have typically the most influence on a kid. But can I tell you that aunts and uncles and grandparents have a lot of influence. And you have the ability. You've got a God-given door of influence as a grandparent. You have a God-given door as an uncle or aunt. And I know that that door, you can't force it open. So if it's closed, you can't force it open. But we work really hard to have a relationship with our family. You need to have a relationship with your family. You need to have a relationship with the church. I preached about this Sunday. You need to belong to this church or a local church. And so we have two ways specifically to belong here. First is life groups. They're coming up. We're launching them on Sunday. The second is a ministry team, that this is your church. This is what you are a part of that you belong. We need your gifts. We need the spirit, the gifts of the spirit to operate. It's intended for each other. All the gifts of the spirit are intended for the body. And then I believe that we need to belong to our community. I think that you need to belong to what's happening in your neighborhoods, what's happening in our city in some way that you're looking for intentional relationships in your community. This coming Friends Day, you're going to hear us talk about it a little more. This coming Friends Day, we invited, I think there's about 10 organizations that are going to be represented. And these are organizations that different ones in the church are 
a part of. And the point is to realize that we have the opportunity to be connected to our community and have influence in our community. And we need to be a part of what's happening around us because relationships are vital. They're vital. And they're vital not just to us as Christians, but it's important that we have relationships, I believe, outside of these four walls. Our takeaway tonight is that relationships matter to God and they should matter to you. And so we want to do everything that we can to make ourselves as able and as confident to operate in our relationships as we can. I want to pray for you tonight. God, I pray for this great congregation who's gathered, Lord. Our hearts are moved by your word. We're challenged by your word. God, and we can just take a quick glance into our life. We can start at our story as a child, and we can see the devastating effects of relationship. We can see it sometimes in those closest to us and our maybe our parents or grandparents. We may see the devastation of aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. But Lord, I'm praying tonight that there would be something in us that realizes that you view relationships as so vital to what you're doing on earth. You called us to not just have a relationship with you, but to have a relationship with others. You expanded that to be both family the church, and the community. You called us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and you told the Good Samaritan what, you showed us through the Good Samaritan what a neighbor was. It's anyone who has a need. And I pray, God, that our hearts would be expanded. I pray that our hearts would be expanded to have great intentional relationships with those around us. I pray for healing tonight. I pray for a call to heal I pray that there would be something in us that desires healing in our relationships. I pray there would be a desire in us to have courage. God, some people in this room need courage to face some relational struggles head on. God, there are others that need wisdom. There are parents that need wisdom. I pray you would give them that tonight because relationships matter to you and they should matter to us. Before we're dismissed, I want you to grab, touch somebody on the shoulder next to you. Put your hand on their shoulder, grab their hand, if you like them. If not, don't worry about it. But just as kind of a moment tonight, I want us to just pray for one another. I want you to pray. You might not know what they're going through tonight. Relationships are often hidden. They're one of the things we don't want to talk about, but we need each other. God, I pray in this moment. God, I pray you'd bring healing, you'd bring strength. You'd bring help. God, as we just make a visual symbol, God, of what it means to be connected, I pray spiritually, Lord, there would be a connection made tonight to your word. God, we need you. We need you. As we move into this next dimension of our church, God, relationships are vital. As we launch life groups, Lord, there are going to be things that are shared in those life groups, God, that are going to help shape and help bring strength and encouragement. And I pray we would have the courage to have intentional relationships. I pray for our families. I pray, God, that you would bless our families, help our families, give us doors of opportunity, God, uh, among our extended family. God, I pray for our church that you would grow our relationships one to another. 
I pray, God, give us health, give us strength in our church, God, and we pray for our community tonight. God, there's an open door. There are so many things that we can be a part of to bless our community, to, God, see life change happen around us, to the less fortunate, to those who are desperate, those who are needing wisdom. And I pray we would have the courage, we would have an open heart to have more relationships in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God, strengthen us for these next days. Strengthen us for the second half of the year. I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you, O oh God. You know, Lord. You know. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.